0: any type of change is it's really a process stephanie
1: it's not an event hey there friend you're listening to the hot mess hotline and this is stephanie craven you are in the right place if you're an ambitious leader who wants to pull off a big stupendous amazing transformational project we teach you how to lead with strategy innovation flexibility and focus for new business results digital transformation tough decisions, airy problems, and so much more. Whatever you're working on, we've got hard-earned lessons from executives that you can learn from today and put them into practice when this episode is over. My guest today is Wally Brandt. What a dear man and a leader that has been through some hot messes. We had to filter through at least five before we could narrow down what we wanted to share with you today. Because Wally has been so so successful, it means he's had a lot of problems in his career and in the business that he runs in order to overcome them. Wally is the CEO and owner of the Indiana Oxygen Company. It's a 108-year-old fourth-generation family-owned company headquartered here in Indianapolis, Indiana. They manufacture and distribute industrial, medical, and research laboratory gases and related welding and safety equipment throughout the Midwest. These folks basically run a business that runs businesses behind the scenes. So they are a little hidden gem here in Indiana for us. All right, my friend, let's dig into this powerful conversations with so many lessons to learn from my friend Wally. Let's go. So Wally, thank you so much for being here today with us. Tell us about your hot mess.
0: Well, first of all, Stephanie, uh, it's an honor to be with you on this program. I went through some of the uh, other uh, guests that you had, like Jerry Jones and Calvin Ellison, and uh, yep. it's going to be tough to, tough acts to follow, but thank you for having me. <laughs> um, I love to tell you that I had one hot mess, but the truth is I've had more than one. But the most um, compelling, the, the the most difficult one happened early in my career. The um, the board of directors, uh, which are all family members of a family business, not too unusual, had to fire our president of the company who unfortunately was a family member and who left the company in just a tremendously bad financial state on the brink of disaster. We, we had uh, all of our payables out to about 120 days. Uh, we couldn't get our vendors to send us any product. Plus there were some, I'd call them questionable financial transactions by him. And it was just too much under the circumstances for the board to just let that go. So after his dismissal, the board of directors at my dad's recommendation promoted me to CEO and my dad to president. And that might sound a little bit interesting, a little bit unusual, but because ordinarily on paper on a uh, organizational chart, uh, it would have my dad reporting to me. But That really wasn't how it was uh, actually. As a CEO, I needed to have a very strong president. And my dad had a lot of experience with distribution, production. And um, I had uh, some skill sets in finance and accounting. And so together, I think we made a pretty good team. Because of our horrible situation with our payables, in order for us to get any product, I had to go get our current suppliers back up to current terms. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't send anything. Yeah. I, I couldn't even buy a COD. They wanted everything paid up before they would even give us product. So my only choice at the time was to take a loan out from the bank. Now it's odd that in our history, up to that point, we had never even borrowed from the bank, even to build buildings. We, uh, we did that internally and we had not established a line of credit. So we established a line of credit at one of the, local banks. To me, it was a very sizable amount, but it did what we were hoping it would do. It got our uh, vendors paid to current. They started sending product back to us and so forth. And I was very confident that we were going to be able to pay them back, because after all, now that our uh, president had departed, I'm sure that all the problems left with him. And (laughs) I I was half right. (laughs) <laughs> it was the other half that uh, just about killed us and just about put us out of business. Mm. Um, and this is embarrassing to even tell Stephanie, but in a matter of 16 months from his dismissal and my appointment to CEO, we were back out to 120 days on payables. We could not get any product mm. again, only this time we had this big loan that we had to pay back. and. I was just scratching my head. How did we get in this mess? I mean, I'm not stupid. I may be inexperienced, but I'm not stupid. And so we got into this situation, and now the question is, how do we get out of it? Yeah. So uh, we did about the only thing that I felt would would help with our expenses, and that was we had the one and only layoff at our company that we ever had, and. Even to this day, it's still the most difficult thing I've ever done. We laid off 20% of our people across the board, uh, different departments, blue collar, white collar, everywhere. And they that happened on what we call Black Friday. Mm. And I felt since I had gotten us into this mess, I had to be the one to tell every one of these employees. And at that time... We had 45 and we had to lay off nine of them. So by the time I got to the ninth one, the word had already gotten to him and it was like an execution and it was just a a rotten feeling in the pit of my stomach, but then it got worse. The bank called our loan. Oh my gosh. imagine, Imagine you've mortgaged your house and then the bank shows up and says, you have to pay off your house in full today. Hmm. I, I thought I had reached the pit of my stomach, but I got even deeper. Yeah. Thank goodness for the SBA, uh, the Small Business Association, because I went several places, but when I went to them, they asked a lot of questions and they took kind of a leap of faith and they said, all right, we'll back you for 90% of the loan. And I figured I could beg, borrow, or steal the other 10%. So I went back to our loan officer of the bank and i told him that give me a couple more days we'll have your money and he looked at me he's really surprised and he goes well where are you getting it so i told him i said well the sba is going to back us mm-hmm. he goes oh well if they're going to back you then then i guess we'll um, we'll we, we'll withdraw the call on the note so we felt like we dodged an enormous bullet yeah so here's Stephanie, here's what we learned from this, Uh, not just from what happened to us, but what happened next in trying to climb out of this deep hole, because I'm telling you, as a new CEO, having never gone through anything like this, I didn't have a a whole file full of uh, fresh ideas on how to do this. So, you know, this whole thing really threatened our whole existence. And... I'm very proud to say, and I know I'm not the first one to tell you this, but I'm really proud to say that our team really pulled together. They responded in a way that was exemplary. And in fact, I would volunteer, our case study might be worthy of being the standard for other companies who get in this type of hot mess. Mm. Obviously, we realized we had to change our three generation same old same old way of doing business yeah and i guess by default as a ceo i inherited the role as the uh the change leader and um (laughs) my dad said to me i'll never forget this stephanie he said this is your call to fix this situation because if the change doesn't work my house is paid for (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thanks dad But in a way there was a slight, I think, exposure of confidence and, you know, Hey, you us in the mess. Let's see if you can get out. And I, even though I was not experienced, I, I I had enough savvy to know that any type of change is it's, it's really a process, Stephanie. It's not an event. So with this process, it's not going to happen overnight. And some people are going to want to see results immediately and if they don't you're going to lose some credibility with it but nevertheless we went out there and i i felt the first thing i had to do was to establish a a sense of urgency now that may sound a little uh strange because yeah they, they almost called our note we're not back on our feet yet so yeah that's pretty urgent yep but management knew that but we needed the rest of the team including the middle managers some of whom didn't realize how bad the situation was so we told them we opened our books it's the only time we've ever done that but we said here is our situation and i'm the one that got us into this and my dad and i can work 24/7 but we cannot save the company by ourselves yes so we're, we're begging you, the choice is yours. If you want this company to survive, we need to stop quibbling over departmental lines and so forth and we need to pull together uh, as a team. Looking back, I think the transparency and um, I guess the honesty uh, in the way we approached them slowly started to lead some of the employees to trust us. So then we needed to really convince the the majority of all the rest of the employees that the status quo was actually more dangerous than the unknown after mm-hmm. we implemented this change whatever that change was yes come up with a different strategy so we had to convince them that you know take another leap of faith because where we are uh, obviously is not the way to get us out of this so in order to kind of get this message across i needed i needed some supporters some people that uh uh you know believe like i did that this was something we needed to do and we needed to change it now on the way we approached business mm-hmm. uh, and this meant stephanie from you know from sales to production to finances to distribution and uh, ultimately to our culture and this leadership team it can't be just me this leadership team of what i'll call loyal people who bought into this I have asked them to come up with a a new but yet achievable vision. That's something for the entire company to believe in. Something simple and achievable, but critical. And then I needed the entire company to you know to buy in on it. And then we needed to communicate this vision mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole organization. That's sort of a I guess you'd say a talk the talk and then walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, I don't know if you want me to share the vision with you but it was pretty simple and i was uh you know i said hey i can, I can live with that so yes
1: i'd love to hear it what is it
0: okay well you know what i'm going to do i've got it right here i'm going to read this right so open mess it up okay you know i do know it by heart but um our vision which by the way is vision is why are we in business yes and that vision can be to make a whole bunch of money uh to serve our people whatever so our vision that they team came up with was our vision is is to be the number one company in our marketplace and thus greatly enhance the overall lifestyle of our people and the surrounding communities and then on top of that they came up with a mission which to me is okay you told us why we're in business now how are we going to get there and again it was really simple it was our mission is to serve our customers so well and with such a high quality of product and service that they have no interest whatsoever in our competition. Oh my those gosh, were, I love those that. Were terrible, yes. But we live with that. Yes. It wasn't pie in the sky or nebulous, it was just real down to earth stuff. So, continuing on this, um, digging out of this hole, Yeah. one by one, um, as other leaders or managers bought into this program we actually empowered them we said run your department however you see is the best way as long as it's consistent with the mission and the vision and we even had a an off-site retreat to make sure that we were all on the same page and that was critical and sadly uh this probably won't surprise you but Sadly, we had a few resistors, both mm-hmm. in the labor works and even in some of the middle managers and we just, we had to help them find a new career outside our company because we, we just, we could not put up, if we were going to survive, we couldn't put up with saboteurs, if you will. Yep. Everybody had to be in the direction and, and that was not an easy decision because one guy in particular had been with us a long time i don't know if his, he just had enough or he finally just said he heard too many promises or whatever so it was not an easy thing but it was without a doubt it was the right thing to do and by the way i believe strongly that nobody has ever been fired too early mm. ever Agreed. so stephanie i need to point out one critical thing that i kind of left out throughout this whole process but this is this is absolutely essential and that is if you're the change leader it should come from the top in other words the ceo yes and that ceo has to be engaged every single day and believe in the change It, it cannot abdicate this responsibility and it cannot be dedicated to the next in line he can't say guys this is a great change program have at it now let me introduce the vice president then this guy goes off and plays golf can't do that So what happened? Well, after a few months, like I said, it didn't happen overnight. We stopped the bleeding and began to show some improvement. The attitude changed from uh, is today the day we're going to get our pink slip to, hey, this is making sense. And we call these little wins or small wins Mm -hmm. and we celebrated those we didn't have a whole lot else to celebrate about so we celebrated. but we always (laughs) kept in mind hey this is just today uh we have a long way to go and stephanie i guess in summary uh of this whole embarrassing event i think through the honesty and through explaining our financial situation and taking the blame honestly, not not uh, heroically, but honestly, that I was the one to put the company in this hot mess. I think we won the trust of our uh, associates. And I think that caused them to pull together as a team and to get the company back on its feet. And I'm very happy to say within two years, we were profitable again. And, oh. and I say, why? Because I truly believe that it was because both sides came together and faced and conquered a common challenge just as simple as that it i look back on it and i just feel so proud of the people that stuck with us i mean they could have just said hey this thing is sinking fast i'm i'm going to find another job somewhere but they didn't and um again that was the one and only layoff we ever had and by the way a few of those people we were able to hire back including some that had gotten jobs with other companies. And that was gratifying to know that even though they already had a job, they wanted to come back to our company despite the peril that we had uh, emerged from.
1: Wow, that, that, that is absolutely amazing. I wanna, I wanna go back to, you know you said something early on about we had to make some changes that were related to our business model. And just so other leaders can understand you know, what business strategy change can look like, what were some of those uh, strategy changes or model changes that Indiana Oxygen had to make?
0: Good question, Stephanie. In the first place, even though we were the first one of our kind in the state of Indiana, the first uh, gas manufacturer and distributor, we didn't grow like a lot of other companies did. That may be a topic for another time on whether the owners felt that it was generating enough income uh, for our lifestyle. I'm not really sure. But all I know is that we didn't grow as fast. And as a result, we kind of fell off the the leading edge and we just weren't tuned in. The second big mistake was we didn't participate with um, trade associations. So we really had no yardstick to compare ourselves with us. We really didn't know how bad we were. Mm. And we're making a, a profit enough to pay the taxes, pay all the salaries, have a little bit left over to hand out and so forth, but we just had no comparison. And when we did get involved in a trade association, I think we did that in like 1973, and then made some contacts in the industry and started comparing notes and so forth. We thought they do that a lot better than we do. They do that a lot. They don't spend as much as we do on that. So that that's really the, the change we made. I'm not going to say we mimicked them, but what we came back with, with was a basket full of best business practices to be able to say, we've never done this or we don't do it very well. We're gonna, We're going to do it now and let's see where it takes us.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really good. I think in today's business world, that's taken for granted, given the transparency that the internet has created on a lot of business. But back then, that same level of data didn't exist. And knowing your competition is part of building a thoughtful strategy. And it just sounds like to me, you all had become maybe a little too isolated from the rest of your industry and the the other networks that made your business possible.
0: Stephanie, you're right. Even to the point, and and again, this (laughs) is—I'm not real proud of this—but we didn't even read any business books because we didn't know where we needed to start. Yeah, leadership, finance, other business uh, practices—we just didn't, you know, we didn't have the uh, the library, if you will, and nobody to talk to to say, "Hey, we tried this, and this really helped." I mean, we were so isolated and didn't even know that we weren't doing uh, that that well. I had, and my dad had tremendous faith in my grandfather. He was a very bright guy. He was an electrical engineer and he set up our, our, our first gas manufacturing facility where they bombarded water molecules with electrons and made oxygen and hydrogen. But as far as uh, any business uh, savvy, the only other business he had through no fault of his own uh, went under. It was an automobile agency that uh, sold luxury cars before World War One, And when World War One hit, there was a worldwide recession and nobody was buying expensive uh, luxury automobiles. So they went under. So you really didn't have the business experience. And I'm not going to say that's uncommon. I think a lot of people kind of go into business and kind of hope hope it works. If you buy it for $5 and sell it for $10, you know you are going to make money. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs>
1: yes there is. <laughs> yes. Well and there's I think this is true of any entrepreneurial journey or any set of company leaders that are, you know, in an industry for the most part it's you're passionate about that thing that the company does. Most people except for our our dearly beloved CFOs are not excited about Managing the balance sheet and you know making sure that that extra five dollars you made on the thing that you sold for five dollars covers all your operating expenses and all your fixed costs and da, da 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 like we that's not why we get into business we get into business because we're excited about the thing that we do you know your dad was an electrical engineer he wasn't a man I'm going to be an electrical engineer and I can't wait to look at my balance sheet <laughs> that's just not how it goes
0: you know you are so right and even to add on to that and we were guilty of this too it was kind of like uh let's say we uh, there was a new welding process a new electric welding machine and ah, this is really cool i can't wait to go out there and 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 sell it and show people and everything and then you look at your cfo and you go you just make sure we make a profit just you know do that that's kind of how you deal with it with the cfo the poor guy (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're asking him to make a, you know, a mountain out of a molehill and then sometimes it just can't be done. And even when he tries to tell you, in some cases, he you know, gets overruled. Another thing along that line is we really didn't have a CFO. We had a bookkeeper. Mm. So, I mean, the sins that we committed and the idea that we're 108 years old, still owned by the same family is just boggles my mind.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I appreciate your humility and you sharing... Um, You keep using the word embarrassed, but like these down-home truths that honestly, Wally, every business owner learns. That's why I'm so proud to bring your story to them because they shouldn't feel alone. They shouldn't feel embarrassed. Like this is oftentimes how it goes Um, as we we learn the hard way. We learn through these trials of this stuff that you're like, oh, that's why people have CFOs. Okay, let's get one of those. (laughs) True. Oh well, that's
0: nice you to say that because um, I still, in spite of your your very kind words, I'm not proud of it. Let me put it that way. But it is one of the best lessons. The best way you can learn is to get in there, make mistakes, and then, especially if you can get out of the mistakes and learn from it and become better. As I told you, it's not my my only hot mess, and I had a, another one that I won't go into unless you want me to. But it. The two of those mistakes, which, by the way, happened within like seven years of one another, I've been here 44 years, so it was a pretty narrow bad time. Those two events together told me, hey, Buster, stick to what you know, stick to your knitting. Don't venture outside something you don't understand and just be the best gas man that you can be. And that has been a hard lesson to learn. boy, it was um, it, it was critical. So uh, like I said, it's, there are probably other people out there that watch the podcast that go, well, yeah, I've had more than one hot mess. I'd be surprised if they didn't.
1: Yes, yes. That's the secret for all successful people as they have lots of hot messes that they've learned to get out of. Let me ask you this. How have you learned to rely on the financial experts that your company uses now? And I mean that, but I'm assuming you have a top level You know, finance person, you might have outside counsel in that area. What do you know now about the key role that a financial professional plays in a successful business?
0: Very interestingly, a lot of companies, uh, I I feel this way because we were that way even when we had a real CFO. We didn't give him the authority that a CFO, if he's a true member at the C level, Mm -hmm. if he's a true member of the executive team, and has a certain area for which he's responsible, then it's not right to overrule that person without question, demonstrate that he's wrong and that you're right. So I was very fortunate, Um, again, I, I, I don't think I fit the mold for a lot of companies, but I got my undergraduate degree from Purdue eons ago when the Vietnam War was going on. And about five years ago, I got my EMBA from Notre Dame and uh it's kind of funny because i had applied to notre dame for undergrad and didn't get in but my daughter's uh, father-in-law kept hounding me to why don't you try this one of my employees did it so i thought oh what the hell just to shut him up i'll go ahead and apply because i know i'm not going to get in well guess what i got in And I thought, now what coach so for two years i sat in the it was a kind of like a stadium type thing i sat in the top tier right next to a very bright young man who was an accountant who had been promoted to be an auditor at the University of Notre Dame. And we got to be pretty good friends. And he'd lean over and say, is that really the way it works in real life? And I'd lean over and said, how do I do this damn pivot table again? And we worked pretty well together. And he confided in me as we got close to graduation that there was no upward mobility at Notre Dame. And he wanted to you know, I said, look, you're a bright guy. You're in the top 10 of our class. You need to be a CFO for some company. because I don't know any how to, how to go about that. But I said, accounting firms, they're, they're the ones that know companies who need CFOs. So I arranged a couple of interviews for him. And in the meantime, between the time we set the interviews and the time he took the interviews, we caught our controller embezzling. Ooh. And so when he stopped by after his interview just to say hi and take a tour of our facility, I... I threw him an underhand softball and I said, hey, how'd you like to work together? Well, he's been with me ever since. And he is not the type that just kind of crunches numbers. He leads the team towards the, the economic or financial goal. And he does it in a way that sometimes you have to be tough, but then he also say, okay, well, I'm not sure we could do it the way it's set up. So let's find another way we can get you what you want and still not disrupt the budget. Yes. Um, and I mean, you actually work with him and let him have his authority. I'm gonna tell you, before we did that, we had, we were 100 years without ever really treating anybody like a, a, a chief financial officer where he had the same C-level uh, authority as the rest of the executive team.
1: That makes complete sense. Are there other roles in the company since we're just airing all your dirty laundry today, are there other roles that you believe, you know, at the C-suite, like as a CEO, I should have given them more authority.
0: At one point in time, I think right now our executive team, which we have seven on the executive team, I'm the CEO and our president. But then after that, the other five are 44 years or younger. Mm. Uh, We have the, uh, our, our uh, legal counsel, who's a vice president, and uh, we have a, a C- COO, Chief Operating Officer. We have the CFO. We have the, uh, a CIO, our, our Chief Information Officer, who handles our IT. And then mm-hmm. we also have a CDO, a Chief Digital Officer, which handles our e-commerce, which, by the way, amounts to about 20% of our total revenue. Nice. Uh, every one of these members of our executive team have responsibility, They have equal say in our executive leadership team meetings and deserve the same support from the rest of the organization to be able to to do their jobs and to complete their assignments and responsibilities. And it calls for some pretty interesting leadership meetings to find out how they solve the problem that really has nothing to do with what this person's department has, for example. In e-commerce, we have 100% of our business is is done by credit card. And recently we were informed that um, uh, a while back that some Chinese hacker, um, at least they found, they they traced it back to China, had been scraping our uh, credit card information, which had credit card numbers, names, uh, addresses, Mm -hmm. and so forth. So we had to, and we have a pretty good cybersecurity system, but they were able to get around that. We had to notify all the people that had bought during that period of time. We were lucky to my knowledge that we didn't have anybody who had had uh, false charges on their accounts, but you know, operations never had a problem like that. Sales didn't have a problem like that, yet it could affect the whole team. So it's interesting that everybody, you know, has ideas or pitches in to help one individual's problem. And, uh you know, again, it's it's teamwork. I might have used that word a lot, but it really is true.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I hear that a lot from other CEOs that I talk to is they need their leadership team to problem solve together. You know, this is, this is the group where the breaking down of silos and organizations yes. must begin and end. And let's say if your CDO is not willing to speak up about a problem that your general counsel is trying to solve, you don't have a team, you have silos, and everyone's trying to go through the CEO, but the company deserves its most amazing leaders and its most amazing problem solvers to be solving each other's problems, because that's really what, that's really what you're there for, is to solve problems, not just lead your department.
0: You know, you're so true. You bring up an interesting point. You you talk about silos, and yet everybody on the executive team is treated as if they're all on the same line of the organizational chart. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not a big fan of organizational charts because it has a tendency to put people in layers that that doesn't have any indication of how critical they are to the entire organization. Yeah. But banks likes to have nice, you know, organizational charts. I guess they want to know what throat to choke if they need to, but the, (laughs) uh the idea of when we go to these executive leadership meetings uh, you know that that organizational chart goes out the window and the cfo or the chief digital officer can say well i think your idea is not going to work and here's why and there's no feeling of animosity or embarrassment that's why we're there is to get ideas from it. and they're all bright people or else they wouldn't be on it so yep. um the silo thing i i boy, i hate that concept uh the idea i want to protect my little kingdom and i'm not going to give anybody good ideas because they, they might be able to take credit for something that i thought something like that uh it's just done it's non-functional
1: yes yes and it tears apart the mission and the vision like at the end of the day it tears apart the team when you create us versus them mentality
0: yeah yeah, yeah. It does. that makes
1: me sick all right, last last question, and I'll let you get back to changing your part of the world there. What, you know, we've got future leaders coming up inside of your company and many other companies that we hope one day will be um, in your seat. And what do you wish that they knew today as a manager or a director about what it takes to be in that executive team meeting?
0: Stephanie, I the thing that comes to mind is accountability. And that, that kind of is tied to honesty, it's tied to transparency in, in coming in and being willing to, you know, bare your soul and be able to learn. Everybody in this company should be accountable, including the, the CEO. It's not like, you know, one of my favorite cartoons was a guy that is up on a mountaintop and he's got his arm around a young executive and they're overlooking this the, from the mountain the, the, the entire factory and golf course and everything and he said if you work really hard all of this can be mine oh. and the kids at <laughs> looking like huh like why do i want to do that yes well, he, the ceo is just as accountable to the rest of his team as everyone else and in fact now this is going to sound a little bit uh corny or a little goody two-shoes but It's because we have such a dynamic executive uh, leadership team. That's what gets me out of bed. That's what gets me here. I want to lead by example. I want to be here early. I want to stay here late. I want to come up with something if I can every single day to say I did this. I contributed this. I want them to look at me not as the old guy that they parked in the corner because I'm a CEO. I want them to look at me and say I'm a team member. And I came up with something. And oftentimes, to my luck, oftentimes those three letters on your business card can open a lot of doors that otherwise won't get open to people who are not in that position. So every once in a while, if there's a stalemate, whether it's a service agreement or a discrepancy of bills or cylinder balances or whatever, sometimes I can get in the door to the the right guy when they can't. That makes me feel so valuable to the team. But to get back to your question, it's the accountability and and the respect. And my last thing I'm gonna say about that is we stumbled onto something uh, uh, several years ago. When we hire a new employee, regardless of the department, uh, it might be sales or it might be uh, accounting or administration. They will work the dock for a while. They'll wrestle the cylinders for a while. And especially a new young executive coming up. um, And I give that person two assignments. One, these guys and and I'm not I'm not trying to be dramatic. If we don't get the cylinders pumped with the gas and the cylinders loaded on the trucks and the trucks delivering the cylinders, we die, period. So these guys, most of whom didn't have the opportunity you had to go to college, uh, not all, but but a the majority, these guys, your whole livelihood. The reason we're hiring you depends on them. So assignment number one is you need to respect each and every one of them and all of their characteristics and the way they do their jobs. The second lesson, and perhaps it's the most one important one, is you have to work so well that you earn their respect. Mm-hmm. So accountability and realizing that nobody is above anybody else. Uh, uh, there aren't any silver spoons here. Uh, you have to make your own keep. And I think the idea of respect mutually across the board is uh, kind of the, the the base of our culture here, which I'm very proud of.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. And it, it speaks to, I think a fundamental question every employee must know about the business that they work in is, do you know how value is created here? And if you do, do you know how you create value and and how it's connected to the way the company makes money? Because your company makes money by loading gas in these cylinders, safely delivering them, picking them up when they're empty, refilling, right? Like that's your bread and butter. And your bread and butter is not, no offense, but the marketing person putting together the brochure, that is the thing that allows where true value is created maybe to be amplified or to do some more of it but you've got to know how your business makes money and how you contribute to your business making money.
0: Absolutely right. I would never want to minimize anybody's contribution to the whole team. Of course. But but, as you said, that's reality. We have to know what makes money for us and then support that. Yes. uh, You said it better than I did, but uh, very well.
1: Man, this has been an amazing conversation, Wally. Thank you so, so much for your time and and being Yeah. Oh, I'm just, um, it's never lost on me what an honor it is to hear some of these, you know, stories that maybe we wish didn't make it out into the public so that other folks can learn. So, thank you very, very much for your humility and sharing those.
0: Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to future uh, podcasts.
1: Absolutely. All right, my friend. See why I had to have Wally share his experiences with you? He has come to discern what he has been through and is generous at offering those lessons to us. You know, w- when it comes to change, I love how he said, it's not an event, it's a process, right? Creating a sense of urgency for the whole staff. And he was so quick to say, I got us in this mess. Will you help us get out of it? I love the humility that he's demonstrated to his colleagues. You know, his quote around the status quo was more dangerous than the unknown. That's how you know you have a sense of urgency when change is less scary than what's currently happening. Talking the talk means you have to walk the walk as a leader if you want people to follow you. And especially when he said... And I'm just I'm I'm just like digging right in for these lessons learned, my friend. You know, when he said you can't put up with saboteurs, I cannot tell you how many times I've walked into a client site and they are tolerating folks that are actively disengaged. They're tolerating folks that are undermining the changes at hand. I believe that they sh- those behaviors should be unacceptable. Wally believes those behaviors should be unacceptable. And I hope that you will join us in believing that those behaviors have to be unacceptable in your culture if you're going to drive change, innovation, transformation at any level. All right, my friend, those are my top lessons learned from learning from Wally himself. Now, I would love to know, what did you learn? What did you take away? Wherever you're listening and watching in, put those comments in for us because we're going to learn from you too. All right, my friend, let's get back to those big, amazing projects that you have on your plate that are demanding our best selves in our work, and I'll see you soon.